welcome to the sermon cast from King Road Church. If you'd like to connect with us or browse resources, please go to kingroad.ca and click New Here. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. Uh, Open up your Bibles. If you have a paper Bible or one on your phone to the book of Haggai, Haggai is one of the minor prophets, um, called the minor prophets in the Bible because it's one of the smaller prophecies near the end of the Old Testament. Uh, And the book of Haggai is often overlooked. It kind of has a bit of a reputation um, as being like the book of James of the Old Testament. You know how the book of James in the New Testament is very practical, practical. It doesn't have a lot of lofty language, um, praising the Lord, things like that. The book of Haggai is very similar. It's a very practical book that the prophet Haggai wrote by the hand, by his own hand, um, and under the inspiration of the Lord, of course. And the book of Haggai is often overlooked. As you go through your Bible reading, you don't come across the book of Haggai very much. But it has a very timely message for us, I believe, and so I wanted to preach from this book this summer. So a bit of background on the book of Haggai. Let's look at some historical background and what was going on with the nation of Judah. So the southern kingdom still was in place at the time of Haggai when he wrote this. Um, the, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom had split. The northern kingdom of Israel had been taken off into captivity, had been overtaken years earlier And now here was the southern kingdom, also under a time of stress. The Babylonians had been the ruling government and empire for a number of years already, and Nebuchadnezzar was kind of getting sick of the little revolts that kept coming up, and so he brought a siege against the city of Jerusalem in 586. So 586 B.C., and so um, in this siege, he, he surrounded the city. He wouldn't let people leave. He wouldn't let people come in. So you can imagine what it would be like living in that city at that time. So a lot of pressure and stress on the leaders and on the people of the city in 586. And eventually the city falls. Babylon goes in and destroys the city, levels the temple, uh, burns everything, and takes the people off into captivity. Then in 538, so years, so 586 happens, all the people go off into captivity. Then in, then Cyrus comes along. Cyrus is the king of Persia. So the Persian Empire then takes over Babylon, comes in, and Cyrus, who's the king or the leader of Persia, decides rather than having everybody in Babylon as captives and instead of trying to run all of their little provinces and states, We're actually going to send the people back. We're going to let them worship as they want to worship. They still got to serve Persia, but we're going to let them go back. They're going to be able to worship and have their own little area back because it's just too much difficulty trying to rule all these people and having them all in Babylon. So this actually is a historical fact. Uh, Skeptics will often look at the Bible and see historical claims. They'll go, well, that didn't happen, but... um, as archaeologists have worked over the decades and the centuries, they have found more and more. One thing they've found is the Cyrus Cylinder. And here's a picture of it on the screen. The Cyrus Cylinder is actually has the decree that he wrote, sending the people that were in captivity back to their respective cities and nations to rebuild. 
and to rebuild their places of worship, to go back to worshiping their own gods. And Israel is included in that. So here's a bit of the timeline also of that give you an idea of when Haggai is writing. So the timeline shows the first one there in 538, Cyrus decrees that Jews may return to Judah. Next, 537, Zerubbabel leads the exiles to Judah. So Zerubbabel is the descendant of David, who is the rightful heir to the throne. So he leads everybody back. The temple and the altar are rebuilt in 536. And then from 535 to 520, nothing happens with the temple. Everybody builds up their own houses. They build up, they make their places nice. They put in the nice shag carpets and the golden drapes or whatever it is, right? They make their houses beautiful. And the Lord's house lies in ruins. And that's the context of where Haggai writes. The Lord's temple has been lying in ruins for decades, and even with the people back in their land, they're even worshiping, they're going to the altar, but the temple lies in ruins. So when we look at Haggai's prophecy, I think we'll see that, and here's the main idea for today, God's presence leads us from ruin to peace. God's presence leads from ruin to peace. And there are three points to today's sermon. Number one, our ruinous priorities. Number two, God's motivating presence. And number three, a future glorious peace. So into point number one, our ruinous priorities. Haggai 1 verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king... In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So Haggai is just letting the audience know here uh, the full situation of what's happening. Who is involved? It's the first day of the month which would have been a new moon festival or therefore a public day of worship. It was in the sixth month, which would have been after much of their harvests were already complete. And Zerubbabel, the governor, was there. Like I said, the descendant of King David. Joshua, the high priest, was there. He's a descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother. So you've got the the rightful king in place. You've got the rightful priest in place. This should be a time of incredible celebration and a time of incredible joy. I mean, think about the rightful heir to the throne and the rightful musician there leading them. It's like Justin Trudeau and Nickelback for Canada, right? Like, obviously you can sense my sarcasm. Um, but this, this actually should have been a time for great celebration and joy for the people of Judah. This should have been amazing. But Haggai writes this. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Not so celebratory. Verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. 
Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Temple hadn't been worked on for 15 years. You guys are building up your houses. Your guys' houses look great. You guys are doing fine. Have you ever seen a building project that's been abandoned? Uh, maybe you've seen a construction project that started somewhere and then uh, something happens, finances run out, whatever, the, the contractor goes bankrupt, something like that. So I remember when I worked in Vancouver uh, on Georgia Street, which is major real estate, right, in Vancouver. Um, you're walking down Georgia Street, and you've got <clears throat> these incredible buildings being built. The, the Shangri-La Hotel, which is the tallest building in Vancouver, was standing there. And right across the road was this lot, and this about a story and a half of foundation was built. Rebar sticking out had been had garbage strewn about in it. It was just an eyesore for years in downtown Vancouver. Imagine that where the Lord's temple is supposed to be. It's tragic. This is the house of God. Your houses look great. The house of God is in ruins, he's saying. And what gets lost on us here 2,500 years after the fact is that for a nation in the ancient Near East, the, the temple was, it, the, the strength of your temple, how beautiful your temple was, uh, how functioning your temple was, was an indication of the strength of you as a people. And so the people, right, the, the surrounding nations would come and visit maybe, or they'd travel through and they'd go, oh, their God isn't so good. What's going on with them? So not having the, the temple of the Lord built and functioning and thriving was reflecting very poorly on Yahweh himself. Because what kind of God would allow his house to come to ruin? This is the state of Jerusalem in Haggai's time. Continuing in verse 5. Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm, and he who earns wages does so to put them in, ba- in a bag with holes. Continuing verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors." 
See, God's saying, oh, you're hungry? You're thirsty? You're cold? You brought this on yourselves. Consider your ways. Look at your priorities. What do you care about? What do you care about most? You're putting all your efforts into your own little temporary kingdoms of self and completely neglecting God's kingdom. Do you think that's going well for you? See, this is the message that the Lord is giving to Haggai and that Haggai is preaching to these people at this festival. We've seen things like this play out in our own lives too, right? Where we, we are trying to, we're so concerned about our own little kingdom that we kind of forget about what's going on or, or we don't care about what else is going on around us in the lives of people around us or in God's kingdom. And a good illustration of this is sometimes how kids act, like little kids, you think of toddlers. Uh, I remember a time, and Carla remembers it vividly, because she was actually the only one of the two of us that was there. Um, we had uh, little baby Mary Kate, and she had toddler Isabel, and she decided, I'm going to take these babies uh, out for a, a day on the town. I'm going to try to get out with these two. And so we lived in Squamish at the time, so she drove down to West Vancouver and went to Park Royal Mall. Park Royal Mall is, uh, you know, West Vancouver, right? Like upscale, kind of uppity people around there. So she's in the mall kind of shopping. She has our little stroller, and um, Isabel is is with her, and baby Mary Kate's in inside, and she's walking through, and Isabel sees the toy sections, like, and she wants to go over there. But Carla's kind of in a hurry. It's time to get going. Said, no, we can't go there. Can't go there right now. And so Isabel just full on tantrum, throws herself on the floor, like wailing her arms and legs. And she's okay with me telling this. I've told it before. Um, but she's, but Isabel's, she, what's Isabel concerned of in her moment? She's concerned of her own little kingdom. Carla picks her up and she's still flailing. She's holding her under one arm, pushing the stroller through the rest of the store, gets to the exit. There's this mom walking in, or soon to be mom, right? Like way out here. And she's, she's, and she's looking at the babies and Carla's like, don't worry. It's not always like this. (laughs) Right. And so she, she gets to the car, puts Isabel in the car seat and she's totally calm. Everything's fine. But this, this is an illustration of what we can be like with our own lives. We can look at what's going on and what, what our desires are in the moment. And if things aren't going our way, then who cares about anything else? I'm angry, I'm upset, and I'm going to let everybody know about it. We're so concerned about our own little kingdoms. Sometimes this happens in ministries, too. On a big scale, you can think of a church like Mars Hill Church in Seattle, which is a well-known, uh, or was a well-known, very large, one of the fastest-growing churches in the United States at the time. Yet, what a lot of people didn't know was that in the leadership, there was, there were, uh, I mean, there was a lot of really poor leadership taking place, a lot of bullying happening right from the top. 
And in 2015, the church came crashing down suddenly in a lot of people's eyes and multiple reports of the lead pastor's pride and arrogance and outright bullying of his former co-pastors and many of his volunteers came to light. Much of this has been recorded on a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church. But you look at that illustration and what was happening there. It looked like God's kingdom was being built, but really what was happening was in, within the pastor's heart was he's building his own kingdom. So the question is for us as we, as we look at these things, and these are just ex- kind of big examples, right? The, the little kid example, which many of us parents have experienced. Or the big, massive example of a huge organization that crumbles under the pride of its leader. But in our own lives, we've seen things like this too. Where we've put so much effort into the things that we want to do, and all of a sudden it all crumbles and falls through our fingers. Businesses that fail because we've pushed too hard into it, we work so hard, we've neglected our family, we've neglected our church, and then all of a sudden the business falls apart. We don't have anything we need, and we've estranged our children and our wives. We all know stories like this, and you probably in your own lives can remember times like this. Maybe some of you right now, you, you know you're working so hard at your, at your job and you're putting so much effort in, and you can think, man, I really haven't spent much time with my kids lately. Man, I really haven't spent much time with my wife. I haven't served at church in forever. I can barely make it there on a Sunday morning. Consider your ways. Whose kingdom are you worried about? Whose kingdom are you building? Am I more concerned about making Jesus' name great or my own name great? I think that's why we do what we do a lot of the time is because we're looking at making our own name great. We want recognition. We want the, we want the recognition of driving a BMW or we want the recognition of having this bright, awesome, brand new built, uh, designed house. Or we want the recognition of having toned biceps and rock hard abs. It's all about me. A lot of times we spend time thinking about me, my name, my fame. But when we dive so hard into that that we neglect everything else, eventually that falls apart and we're left looking at nothing. Consider your ways. When that kind of thing happens, when everything falls to nothing, who are you going to turn to? Jesus talks about this, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this when, um, basically, when your little kingdom falls apart, when your cabin burns down with a forest fire, or your boyfriend dumps you, where are you going to turn? Jesus' words from Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Having God's kingdom as your main priority, as your number one priority, the health, the health of his house, the church. And I don't mean the building here at 32068 King Road or whatever church is your home church. You're not talking about a structure. We're talking about the church, the, the collection of God's people, the body of Christ. This is where our priority needs to be. Don't, don't neglect your own personal holiness. And also don't neglect the health of your church. Give, serve, pray, worship together. Use your gifts to serve the body of Christ, to bless and uplift the brothers and sisters that you are in church with. Whatever gifts God has given you by the power of the Spirit, use them to build up this house And then when the people of Abbotsford come around and they see us collected and worshiping the Lord and loving each other well and loving God and loving our community and serving each other and blessing each other and joy with joy, they will say, wow, what a God they serve. And God will be glorified. But to do that, we need to change our priorities. And to change our priorities, we need to be motivated. So number two, God's motivating presence. Continuing in verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnants of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord, then Haggai the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. The spirit of the Lord of hosts stirred them up. The word, the term Lord of hosts there is used in the book of Haggai more than in any other book of the Bible. And that idea of Lord of hosts means the Lord of the armies, the Lord of, of his angel armies. You can imagine, you think of um, 
other times in the scriptures when, when you see chariots of fire surrounding and all of God's angels and armies and legions of angels waiting to attack at the Lord's call. This is the Lord that we serve. The Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts is calling them and, and calling them to worship him and to continue the building of this house. And he's stirring up their spirits. So you can imagine being a, a country that is far from uh, dominance and has at once been, remembers the history of the people when they did dominate, but now is far from it. And haven't had a national army for a long time. And you're feeling weak. You're feeling oppressed by the nations around you. And the Lord is revealing himself to them as the Lord of hosts. Like, remember, I have more power, I have more armies at my command than the Babylonians do, than the Syrians ever did, than the Romans ever will, and I am with you. That is the Lord who is with them. That is the Lord who is with us. And he is stirring up their spirits. And this is the biblical pattern of change in people's lives. They don't just hear and think and obey. It's not all a human action. It is God's spirit stirring them up, working in their hearts, making them want to obey him. You see, the, the people before Zerubbabel and Joshua, they had the, wor- the word of the Lord prior. They knew what needed to be done, but they weren't doing it. They needed the Lord to stir them up to get them to action, and that's what the Lord did. The Lord motivates them and stirs them up this way. And this is the way the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord works with people in other places in the Old Testament as well. The Spirit of the Lord clothes Gideon, we read in the book of Judges. We also read that the Spirit of God stirs and rushes upon the judge Jephthah. In 1 Samuel, the Spirit of the Lord rushes both upon King Saul and in King David at different times. And then in the New Testament, we see this repeatedly in the book of Acts. In Acts 2, the disciples waiting in the upper room are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then Peter preaches. In Acts 9, the apostle Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit after Ananias lays hands on him. Then Paul begins his ministry. In Acts 10, the Gentiles at Cornelius' house hear Peter preach, and the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The Holy Spirit is the one who is stirring people to love him, to obey him, to serve him. Paul in Ephesians 1 verse 13 writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. See the work of the Holy Spirit in in our hearts? It's not just us who's doing the work. The Holy Spirit stirs us, and then we do the work. And there's some here who are, are hearing this message, and you're, you're going, you're thinking of the ways that you have prioritized other things above the Lord. You're thinking of ways that you have served your own little kingdom instead of God's kingdom. And you're going, yeah, I want to, but I just find I'm too weak. I'm too weak. I keep moving forward and and taking steps and thinking that I'm going to do it, and then I fall back and I don't do it. And you're calling out to God, saying, Lord, I'm weak. Help me obey in my weakness. 
And that's the right prayer. Because the Holy Spirit does that too. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God, the Holy Spirit, is the active motivator in our lives to obey him. He convicts us of sin. He encourages us. He equips us. He intercedes for us, and he leads us to obey Sometimes, um, I'm sure a lot of you are like me in this, that, that you, you feel like at different times that you're like, I'm not hearing you, God. I'm not hearing you lead me. I'm not, I'm not feeling that motivation that I need. Sometimes he seems silent. And in those times... We need to stop and think about it and, and ask ourselves, how have I spent my time lately? I don't feel like I'm hearing God's voice in my life. So what, what have I done lately? Why is that maybe? So if we're not, if we're, and, and you look at your time and maybe you haven't spent a lot of time with God in prayer or you haven't had spent time listening to the Holy Spirit through God's word. Instead, you've been spending time listening to other spirits. All the different spirits that come at you from the world, right? You get up in the morning, you turn on your phone, and you look at the Twitter spirit. Or then you go a little further in your day, and after breakfast, you open up the Facebook spirit. And then as the day goes on, and you have a little bit of time, you open up the Netflix spirit. And then you continue on to the TikTok spirit. And then maybe you're at work, and you're just like, man, I love this MacBook spirit. Or you're, you're at work again and you're so concerned about appeasing your boss, you're, the, bo- the spirit of your boss is the one that's leading you and directing you and making you do what you want to do and you aren't focusing on other things. It's the spirit of money or the coworker spirits or someone cuts you off on the road and the middle finger spirit has his say. We listen to all these other spirits all these other points of the day. And at the end of the day, we go, God, why am I not hearing from you? Because we haven't spent any time with him. So what's the answer to this? Read your Bible. Spend time in prayer. Spend time fellowshipping with other believers, not just talking about random things, but actually talking about the things of the Lord, talking about God's word, not just complaining about how things at church aren't the way you want them to be, but actually talking about the good things that God is doing in your life and in the lives of the people around you, the growth you're seeing in other people, the growth you're seeing in yourself, or maybe even sharing about the lack of growth that you feel and and asking your friends and those you fellowship to pray for you. These kinds of things. When you do these kinds of things, the Holy Spirit will stir you up. He will straighten out your priorities. He will lead you to obey. 
and remind you of the glorious peace that is awaiting us. That's point three, a future glorious peace. Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing? in your eyes. So the first temple built by King Solomon had been destroyed by the Babylonians 66 years earlier. So there were likely some older people who still remembered that temple. So Haggai's writing to them, do you remember the glory of that temple? Do you remember what it looked like? What worship was like in that temple? Do you remember how that temple stood out on the top of the hill on this temple mount and was like a beacon of light to the nations as they came? And is it not as nothing now? So yeah, this 15-year neglected foundation was nothing in comparison to the history that they should have remembered. Continuing verse 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel. Remember, king of or descendant of King David, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, descendant of Aaron, the priest, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. This is a tremendously powerful statement that easily gets lost on us. Again, due to our distance from the time and place. But if you put yourselves in their shoes for a few minutes, remember 2,500 years ago, God is addressing you and naming your leaders, living blood relatives of those great leaders are there. And God says to them, I am with you according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your presence. Fear not. See, if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, you will see how much opposition the Israelites faced when they were coming back to rebuild the temple, when they were rebuilding the city walls. Neighboring nations tried to come in and intimidate them and pressure them to discourage them. Various times, various ways. So God reassures them, saying, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Don't worry about those surrounding nations. Don't worry about those other voices that are coming in and discouraging you from worshiping me or from doing what you know needs to be done to rebuild worship for my people. The Israelites are good at recounting all that God had done for them, especially in their feasts. And the time that Haggai is prophesying, The Feast of Tabernacles, the end of the Feast of Tabernacles at this point. The very feast that is meant to remind them that God was with them as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The tabernacle's a tent, right? So Yahweh, who sent the plagues on the Egyptians, Yahweh, who split the Red Sea and could 
lead them to walk through it to the other side. Yahweh who provided food for them in the wilderness. Yahweh who knocked down the walls of Jericho. This same Yahweh is giving them encouragement, saying, I am still with you. Don't think that I've forgotten you. Don't think that I've abandoned you. I have not. I am with you. I've done it before, and I will do it again. And continuing in verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. God is saying, not only am I with you, but I will bring the gold and the silver to get this place finished. And the temple was finished five years later. God made it happen. Verse 9, the last verse we're going to look at for today. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So now looking back on it, from where we are, we can look at history, we can read at what happened in that time. The thing with this is that the second temple actually never actually lived up to the glory of the first. The second, the second temple repeatedly had problems and attacks against it, and they had issues with the Persians, they had issues with the Greeks, the Seleucids, the Romans... So they never really had peace in that house until Jesus. So when Jesus came to Jerusalem, the glory of that second temple became greater than the former because God in the flesh was with his people, teaching them face to face, healing their diseases, forgiving their sins, standing up in the temple courts at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles and saying from John Verse 7, Jesus saying, or chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And when Jesus was crucified and cried out, It is finished. Peace came. Peace came between God and man signified by the curtain in the temple being torn from top to bottom. The way to God was no longer through the temple system, but through Jesus. So for all of us, um, I don't know what's going on in, in your lives. Some of you have opened up with me, and I thank you for trusting me with the hard things that are going on in your lives, but I know that there's hard things in lives that I'm probably not aware of. And I know that there are days where it feels like God is not with you. But he is. He promises that in his word. He promises that for those who have put their trust in him, that he will never leave them or forsake them. God has poured out his spirit into your hearts. At some point, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you can remember a time where your, hurt, your heart was stirred up for him, where you were excited to follow him, where you did, maybe, and now that's faded a bit. He's still there. He's still there. 
Avail yourself to his word. Spend time in prayer. Even if you don't feel like it, push yourself. Do it. Spend time with him. Serve him. The living waters of Christ are yours. And remember that he promised the Jews back then that they'd have a greater glory in the future. He promises that to us as well. Revelation chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. There is a day coming when all the stresses you feel, when the the pressures, the temptations, the sins that you're committing, when those will all be gone for good. Because his kingdom will return. So the question is, are you bowing the knee to him now? And will you serve him by his grace? Or will you wait till that day when you'll be forced to bow the knee and you'll be doing it with a hard heart, facing his judgment? So friends, consider your ways. Live for Christ and look to that glorious future of peace that he promises. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace on us this morning. Lord, we've come from a lot of different places in our homes, in our workplaces, in our, even on our vacations where we maybe had times where we, we know we didn't serve you well. Lord, I know that there's people who maybe haven't considered serving you well with their lives for a long season. Lord, would you, by your Spirit, stir us up. Stir us up to care about your house, to care about your kingdom more than our own. Lord, would you stir us up by your Holy Spirit to love your things rather than our own, to stir us up by your Holy Spirit to reject the temptations that come our way. Lord, help us by your Spirit to put away lust, to put away anger, violence, to put away greed. Lord, for those of us that are looking at our lives and seeing uh, like money falling out of bags with holes in them, as, as you say in your word here. Lord, help us to put our priorities on you. And then would you bless that? So Lord, we thank you for all that you've done in our lives. Thank you that we can continue to worship you. And I pray that as we do, that your Holy Spirit would continue to stir us up. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us on social media at King Road Church. Have a great week.